what is authentic spiritual awakening? How does it relate to popular spirituality? And how can we know that we're making progress on our spiritual path? These are some of the issues we're going to be looking at in today's video. Please make sure if you enjoy the video to press like and to subscribe to the channel so that you can keep up to date with all of our content. Hello everyone, welcome to the channel. Today we are going to be looking at this issue of spiritual awakening and really the only sign of spiritual awakening that matters. Now to begin, we have to understand there is a tremendous amount of misinformation about this online. People have turned this whole thing of spiritual awakening into just clickbait and ways to get lots of viewers easily, ways to make lots of money easily uh, with their events, with their books, with their videos. A lot of modern New Age teachers have really misled people because there's no quality control right now in modern spirituality. You have to understand this is actually a very serious issue. There's no quality control. There's a lot of good things that come from all the social media and how easy it is now to create your own material. But one of the bad things that happens is that you can just release anything and with no kind of content check, with no need to actually verify and establish or prove either through logical demonstration, uh, through direct experience, or through scriptural authorities and references and classic authorities and references. There's no need anymore to try to prove what you're saying. You can just say whatever you want. You can come out with a video saying 10 signs that you're, you know, spiritually awakening and number nine is really rare. You know, you could come out with all these ridiculous uh, barrages of nonsense and they end up really misleading people. If we're talking about spirituality and if by spiritual awakening we mean something spiritual happening, okay, all the traditions have a consensus that the spiritual path, that spiritual evolution moves from personal uh, ego to something universal. Spirituality moves from particulars to universals. It moves from a personal identity to a kind of universal identity or association with the cosmos or reality or something greater, depending on your religious beliefs. Even incredibly dualistic spiritual paths still say that the personal ego has to be annihilated. The Sufis call it fana, total annihilation of the self. We see it in Christian mysticism, we see it in Islamic and Jewish mysticism, we see it in Taoism and Buddhism and yoga and all the oriental traditions. The annihilation of a personal identity, a personal self, is the heart of the spiritual path. And if we talk about any kind of spiritual awakening that does not involve the diminishing of the personal ego, then we're not talking about spiritual awakening. We're talking about something totally different. And that's fine, you can talk about other things, but don't call it spiritual awakening. Awakening, the only actual awakening that happens is an awakening from the particular to the universal, an awakening from the partial to the whole, an awakening from a separated life to a unified life, from a separated sense of self to a unified, expanded, whole sense of self. That's the only spiritual path. All the traditions are in consensus of this. And I'm not just making this statement, I'm, I'm going to actually, later in this video, uh, go through quite a barrage of quotes, and so I hope you forgive me, but I'm going to try to establish uh, a fairly rare tradition in, in the online community. I'm going to try to get into the habit of actually providing quotes and references 
other than just my own mouth, right? There has to be some kind of authority uh, in what somebody is teaching. If you're going to get online, if you're going to write a book, if you're going to do a podcast, whatever it is, and you're going to present spiritual teachings, okay? the spiritual tradition is ancient. You can't just sit there and spout whatever you want out of your mouth and call it spiritual and treat it like truth. There has to be some kind of demonstration of truth, either through reasoning and logic, through direct experience in the case of different meditative practices, and in terms of uh, basic spiritual teachings, it needs to be sourced or rooted in, in something other than just your own imagination. If you're going to sit up and teach, please rely on something other than your own authority, because your own authority is probably imaginary and just made up in your own mind, and it's misleading people and it's hurting people. So in this video I'm going to kind of hit you with a, with a number of different quotes that help establish that there is actually a consensus on this amongst the different spiritual traditions. If we are not moving away from the ego towards something more universal, towards something more holistic, then there's no kind of spiritual awakening happening. Okay? If your spiritual awakening involves feeling special, feeling like you are the elite amongst people around you, feeling like you are chosen, feeling like there's you know, something incredibly unique and special about you. Uh, these are just ego ploys. Okay? If I sit in a room with 10 people and I say, okay, any, have any of you ever felt isolated? Have any of you, do any of you feel like you, you stand alone from the herd? You're going to see 9 out of 10 hands go up. And it's this kind of psychological ploy that a lot of modern and new age gurus uh, rely on and abuse in order to take advantage of people, in order to gain tremendous popularity and make a lot of money. And this is one of the things that this channel is dedicated to putting an end to. Now we're going to look at how these different spiritual traditions have a consensus about this fact of the spiritual path, that the path is moving from the ego, from the partial state to a more unified state. And we see this consensus amongst both non-dual and more oriental teachings like Buddhism and different yoga schools of thought, as well as in Western traditions like Platonic philosophy, Christian mysticism, uh, Islamic mysticism, so on and so forth. And I want to kind of follow my own advice here and actually provide references for you. So you can see these are just some quotes that I pulled from a number of the different important religious texts and spiritual texts uh, throughout the world from different traditions. So you can see there, there's an agreement here, right? This is not something I'm, I'm making up. This is actually what's been made up is the modern views on what spirituality is about. Spirituality isn't about materializing what you want or anything of that sort. Spirituality is about this. It's about this overcoming the struggle against the ego. And the first verse that I want to mention for you is from the Kathopanishad. The Upanishads are a collection of very important uh, early mystical treaties in India, and they form kind of the backbone of Indian mysticism. So from the Kathopanishad, chapter 3, verse 13, There are two selves, the separate ego and the indivisible Atman. When one rises above I and me and mine, the Atman is revealed as one's real self. Now, the emphasis here in this verse is on the separate ego and indivisible Atman, that the ego is full of separation. And we see this even in the Western literature as well, like in the writings of the great Greek philosopher Plotinus, as well as in Plato, other Platonic uh, philosophers, that the ego, the earthbound identity, the body-bound identity, is full of separation, it's divided. So it says the separate ego and the indivisible Atman. Now we don't have a good word in English for Atman. People often translate it as self with a capital S. And that doesn't quite do justice uh, to it. The indivisible Atman, meaning that which is totally undivided, that which is whole, that which is unified and one. So this overcoming, when one, when one rises above, I and me and mine, 
which is the basis of the ego. When, when one rises above this, then the Atman is revealed as one's real self. From the Tao Te Ching, which is one of the chief Taoist scriptures, we're going to look at the Tao Te Ching and the Tuang Tzu, which are two important Taoist scriptures. First from the Tao Te Ching, an, ex an excerpt from verse 49. Sages have no mind of their own. Their mind is the mind of the people. This is just a, a part or a line from the Tao Te Ching that helps emphasize the kind of non-individuality uh, non or non-personness of the great Taoist sage. The Tuan Tzu continues in uh, part 1, verse 10. The realized remain selfless. The sacred remain meritless. The enlightened remain nameless. The realized remain selfless, of course, makes sense in reference to the other verses. The sacred remain meritless is in reference to the ancient Chinese system of meritocracy. And so the merit it refers to is more like government accolades, uh, fame, popularity, and success. And the enlightened remain nameless is a Taoist concept that the name is only what refers to your body, to your ego, to your earthbound self, not to that which is immortal and pure. Next from the Dhammapada, one of the important Buddhist texts. Verse 279, all states are without self. Those who realize this are freed from suffering. This is the path that leads to pure wisdom. Now moving to some of the Western traditions, because th those cover some of the Central Oriental traditions. Looking at concepts of the personal ego and the earthbound identity, Plato remarks in his dialogue in the Theotetus, in uh, section 176, part B. Therefore, we ought to try to escape from earth to the dwelling of the gods as quickly as we can, and to escape is to become like God, so far as this is possible, and to become like God is to become righteous and holy and wise. And in Platonism, we become like the divine through getting rid of separation. This is a regular theme in later Platonism, middle Platonism, and early Platonism, that the, the ego, the earthbound self, is, this, is the self that is full of separation and division. And to become like God, God is that which is the first principle, the total being and one reality. So we have to purge the soul of separateness, so it becomes full of the likeness of the divine. Continuing on this theme, the great Platonic writer Plotinus writes in his Aeneids, At the first stage, that of separation, a man is aware of self, but retreating inwards, he becomes the possessor of all. He puts sense away behind him in dread of a separated life and becomes one in the divine. So here again we see this, this emphasis on the need to get rid of a partial or separated life or ego and to unify with something greater. Saint Maximus the Confessor was an important uh, early church father and, and Christian mystic. He writes in his 400 verses on love, Whosoever drives out the love of the ego, the mother of the passions, will with God's help easily be rid of the rest, such as anger, irritation, jealousy, and so on. But whosoever is dominated by the love of self is overpowered by the passions, even against one's own will. And looking into the Sufi traditions, we have one of my favorite uh, lines from the life of Abu Yazid al-Bastami, and this is recorded by, uh, uh, by Attar in his famous book, Memorial of the Friends, or Memorial of the Saints, where the great Sufi al-Bastami is having a vision of the divine, and he says, O oh Lord, how, how may I reach thee? How may I come to thee? And it's recorded that what he heard in response was, leave yourself behind and run to me, which I always found to be a, a wonderfully mystical verse. Leave yourself behind and then run to me. So this is a look at some of the 
scriptural authorities, some of the classic uh, textual authorities that help emphasize what the spiritual path is actually about. It is about this overcoming of the individual identity. So if this annihilation of the self is the prime motive and operating principle of spirituality and of spiritual awakening, what signs do we have at our disposal? What, what signs are going to become apparent to us that we're actually making progress in this? Because now, if this is the main issue, is the sublimation of the egoic tendency, how can we properly judge that we're making progress in that? Because it won't necessarily be uh, some of the things that people like to think. It won't necessarily be that you're having interesting insights, interesting intuitions. Uh, some of those things may happen, but spiritual experiences and spiritual progress are not the same thing. Some people, because of whatever the situation may be, maybe their brains are different, maybe their minds are different, maybe their upbringing was different. If you believe in karma, maybe it has to do with that. But some people are very prone to lots and lots of spiritual experiences. But that doesn't mean they've really made much spiritual progress. Others are not very prone to lots of spiritual experiences, but they may be making tremendous progress in this central issue of overcoming the, ego, uh, the egotistic self. So, what is our kind of litmus test? What tools do we have to see that we're making progress? Well, it's going to have to be something that increases as the ego diminishes. So we have to try to find something that becomes better and stronger, in a sense. Some kind of sign that begins to arise more and more. Some kind of trait or quality within ourselves that has a kind of inverse relationship to the ego. So that the stronger the individual self is, the more diminished this trait will be. And the stronger this trait is, the more diminished the ego is. If we can find something like this, then we can use this as a, a fairly sure test that we're making progress. So what is this trait? Generally, the Shastras, the different scriptures and spiritual writings will say that this is virtue. Because virtue, real virtue, not hypocrisy, not people being uh, disingenuine, real virtue is something that is inherently selfless. Whether it's a virtue of the body, even, even virtues of the body, right? Discipline. Discipline of food, discipline of diet, of lifestyle, of sleep, regular exercise. None of those things actually, on their own, appeal to the passions and the appetites. To control your diet is difficult for the appetite of nature. It's difficult. To go to the gym every day and exercise is actually difficult. Right? It requires effort. It requires that you be able to, through will, overcome the natural uh, kind of impulse towards leisurely existence and slothfulness and wastefulness that the ego has. It can be difficult to live even to even have the physical virtues. It can require a lot of discipline and it requires quite a bit of self-denial just to have the physical virtues. Let alone the, uh, some of the higher virtues classically like uh, helping out in your society, helping to uh, giving, giving what you have to others. Helping to support people, helping to support different charities through both your time and your money, trying to give what you have in abundance to those who have very little. These things all deny the very inner-oriented energy of the ego. The ego doesn't want to give of itself. The ego wants to take. All the virtues are a giving of the self to the universe. 
which of course means that they help you expand into the universe. They help annihilate the ego. Virtue is not selfish. There can be what looks like selfish virtue, but that's not real virtue. That's hypocrisy. It's someone who's not being genuine. It's somebody who's using what looks like a virtue for a non-virtuous purpose. Real virtue is always away from the self. And virtue increases. Virtue gathers and accumulates merit in people whose egos are becoming weaker. And so here in virtue we have this inverse relationship. The more virtues that naturally arise within a person are going to help us understand to what extent they've been able to overcome the self. There's different degrees of virtue. Everything from disciplining, uh, if we just look at diet for example, disciplining your diet so that you can lose weight uh, and, and have a healthier life, which is part of the physical virtue, to uh, even fasting right at times, to foregoing food so that uh, for the sake of your meditative experiences and, and gathering deeper and deeper contemplative insights as well as just overcoming the impulse of the stomach to want to eat when it wants to eat, how it wants to eat. Hmm? Disciplining our sleep schedule, doing community service work, right? helping give back to our community, helping give back to other people. This is the only real sign of spiritual progress. It doesn't matter if your kundalini, if you think your kundalini is awake because you have a little bit of, of, a, of a hot spine, okay, <laughs> which isn't actually what kundalini awakening is at all. But if just because you got a little bit of heat down in your belly or in your kidneys or you're having some interesting dreams or you've had a few spiritual experiences, if you're still a selfish, self-centered human being, you're not spiritually awakening. This has to be understood. Spiritual awakening makes you a better person, makes you a better human being for yourself, for your loved ones, for your enemies, for your community, for your society. And that has to be the only sign that actually matters, is that you are improving day by day in all the ways that matter as a human being. You are becoming more patient, more understanding, more kind, more compassionate. You can be stern when you need to be stern. You can be soft when you need to be soft. You can be wrathful if you need to be wrathful. You can be compassionate when it's right to be compassionate. But more and more, your actions are determined by the situation and as much as you can understand of that situation, as opposed to being determined by your own personal egotistical drives and motives and passions. Such a person who is growing in virtue is, is experiencing true spiritual progress. But if you're practicing, you're meditating, and that's not happening, then something is wrong. I've met so many practitioners who are more miserable as people as the result of their spiritual practice than they were even before they began. Because now, many of the spiritual disciplines in the world, they give you a lot of energy. They're all oriented towards feeling good. So they have a lot of breath work, they work a lot on the electromagnetic field of the body, they work a lot on the endocrine system, and, and you feel really good. And the issue is now you have all this energy. Well, if you're still full of all kinds of imbalances in your personality and psyche, now you just have more energy to be selfish with. You have more energy for your ego now. So there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But if you're doing those practices that give you more energy and you're not having signs that you're sublimating the self successfully, you're doing something, but it doesn't really have anything to do with real spirituality. Real spirituality, authentic spiritual awakening, is from the particular to the universal, from the self to the greater self. And the only real sign we have of it, the only true litmus test we have, 
that we are making some progress in this is the slow, steady growth of a virtuous nature. That we are becoming better people for ourselves and for those around us and for the world at large. And if that isn't happening, something is going wrong. Concerning the relationship of the annihilation of the self to virtue, I'd like to quote a few things, especially uh, the first quote here from the Rasala. The Rasala of Jina'id is one of the main uh, Sufi textbooks of, of Islamic mysticism. And in it, uh, page 93 of the Rabia Harris translation, it says, If a person expels blameworthy traits from amongst their states and brings praiseworthy actions to replace them, such a one possesses the characteristics of the annihilation of the self and the affirmation of true being. Here, reaffirming this kind of relationship between the annihilation of the self and the cultivation of the virtues. Again, in the Mandukya Upanishad, chapter 1, verse 12, But those who are pure in heart, who practice meditation and conquer their senses and passions, shall attain the immortal self, the source of all light and the source of all life. Here, the pure in heart, practicing meditation, conquering the senses and passions, these are, this is what happens as we cultivate virtue. So here it's being depicted a little bit as part of the path itself. Concerning the fully realized being, the Paramahansa Upanishad says that they have renounced all selfish attachments and are not affected by calumny, pride, jealousy, status, joy, or sorrow, greed, anger, or infatuation, excitement, egoism, or the other goads of the world. This is verse 1 and 12 in the Paramahansa Upanishad. And finally, to end with the way of the Bodhisattva, the well-known uh, book by Shantideva. Verse 27, uh, extolling the, the power of virtuous activity. If the simple thought to be of help of others, exceeds in worth the worship of all the Buddhas. What need is there then to speak of the actual deeds that bring about the wealth and benefit of beings? The point of this video is just to hopefully help calibrate a little bit some of the people of, uh, of the world today who are trying to make good progress on the spiritual path and who are being misled a little bit as to what the spiritual path actually is, being misled a little bit as to what spiritual awakening actually authentically is. And I hope that I've done somewhat of a, of a decent job here making a case for authentic spirituality from the traditions and scriptures and, and texts and authorities of the spiritual path for multiple different religions to help show that there's a consensus about this. It's not just whatever anybody wants it to be. If spirituality becomes, is allowed to become whatever anyone wants it to be, then it's nothing at all. Then it's just completely imaginary. It's completely made up. I don't think it is. I don't think many of you think it is. I'm sure some of you might. But hopefully we can, we can find some common ground here as to the kind of consensus and central points of the spiritual path as affirmed by some of its greatest masters and some of its greatest writings. And I hope this video was able to uh, clarify some of these things for you. And I hope that you've enjoyed it. And I will uh, see everybody next week with our next video. Thank you.